Three, two, one. Oh, I needed to burp and I was really hoping I'd burp at the same time as the clap. You're so <laughs> gross, honestly. <laughs> Disgusting. Disgusting. Right. Then what if I burp halfway through the intro? Please don't burp during the intro. That's gross. Okay, I'll try okay. not to. <laughs> Welcome to Escaping Kerberos, the podcast where we rewatch, reminisce, and review everything <laughs> Doctor Who from 2005 to present. My name is Rich, and I'm joined by somebody who is currently crying because she wanted to burp during the intro. It's Amy. I can't breathe. <laughs> I hate that we've opened this. This particular episode has been opened like this because if you're watching this on YouTube. <sighs> Um, we're not on camera. We only did that for the Q&A. But if you're watching this on YouTube, you might have seen a brand new <sighs> intro that I've done um, because I've been I've been dipping my toes back into Blender, which I learned how to use uh, over the last sort of year or so, mainly for use, putting car models in and doing stuff with cars at my old job. But I decided to make EK its own actual intro, and you can see it on YouTube. I'll probably post it on Twitter as well. But there's there's a new intro with a TARDIS and a time vortex and 3D text. It looks awesome. I'm proud of you. I'm really proud of it, and it looks really good. It does look really it's, good. It's, it's it's surprisingly simple. Uh huh. By my by my standards, anyway. But like <laughs> the actual process is like okay, this isn't anywhere near as, as complicated as I as I thought. But yeah, I'm joined. I'm rich. I'm joined by. Someone who I, I originally was going to say um, I'm joined by somebody who's worth at least ten thousand adipose on her own. It's Amy. Oh, that's but, mean. Yeah, we mate. It's it's the week of fat jokes. I'm afraid. Yeah. Well, no, I'd rather just burp because, during the intro. <laughs> yeah, you can burp as much as you like. Some people enjoy that. You're so strange. I, I don't believe like this is this is how things start for series four. <laughs> Welcome to a new comedic slant on escaping Gustavus in the same way there's a comedic slant in Doctor Who, hey. because because guess who's back? It's old CT Catherine Tate oh. back in as Donna. I was thinking <laughs> no, really, her name's Donna <laughs> Noble. <laughs> That's my not name's right. Rich. I enjoy Donna Noble, but I can't spell. My God. <laughs> Um, aired back on the 5th of April 2008, so a month away from us turning 13? Uh, 2008, yes. 13. 13. I know. We're so young, we're so small, and now we're turning 28 this year. Ugh. Rip. Grim. But welcome, welcome to Series 4. Donna Noble's back. Russell T. Davies is writing this particular episode. And of course, David Tennant looks so thin and young and his hair's amazing and it's not hair envy. It's it's definitely hair envy. It's hair, definitely hair envy, even for me. It's, yeah. I love it's, his hair. It's very, it's very much hair. Very it's... much hair envy. But welcome to Series 4. We're finally here. Thank you all for all of your questions for the Q&A um, and our previous episode, which we really enjoyed doing. That was really good yeah, fun. Yeah, I we might have that. to do some. might have to do something like that again in the future, if you guys so wish. Let us know over on Twitter, at Castapod, if that's the case. And we'll do something, I don't know, probably halfway through Matt Smith's era or something. We won't yeah. do them that frequently, because then the, the novelty will wear off. Instead, we should talk about Doctor Who, which is what we're here to do. Yes. So, Partners in Crime. I love Series this episode. Series 4 begins. Yeah, it's as, as far as a first episode of a series goes... 
it is good. It has that kind of, I don't want to say schlocky, but you know, you normally perceive the first episode of a series of Doctor Who in a very different light to the rest of it, mm-hmm. because normally it has to do a lot of um, a groundwork, which admittedly this one doesn't necessarily no. have to do because we've already met Donna yeah. and we'd met Sylvia mm-hmm. in uh, The Runaway Bride and obviously we met Wilf yeah. in uh, Voyage of the Damned. So we already knew all the characters apart from the episode-based characters like the antagonist, mm-hmm. like that reporter who's an idiot and poor matey who gets his burglar arm set off all the time. Yeah. So there's a lot of, uh, there's not a lot of stuff to actually have to do in this episode they can kind of get stuck straight into it but in reality they don't i mean for a, for a 50 minute episode it's it's paced well enough it kind of ramps up quite a bit but they they do take things really slow to begin with they just give you time to get back into this idea of okay here's a whole new dynamic especially since these two have met before yeah let's lead this in in such a comedic sort of almost silly way i love it though yeah i think it works really well i mean the thing is about this whole episode opening is the fact that they don't have to do the usual kind of expositionary stuff with introducing the character and the family and their life and all that kind of background stuff that they would do for people like rose and martha so i think it's really fun that the opening shot is literally just Donna walking down a street and you're like oh where's this going because obviously at the time we must have known that Catherine Tate was announced as the next companion yeah yeah they literally, um, at the end of um at the end of Voyage of the Dam they literally yeah. did a whole um coming soon yeah thing. yeah so it's not a shock that you see her but I think what I love about it so much is that they have this just incredible sequence of them constantly missing each other and it's really funny to me that they're just constantly like back and forth, back and forth. And the whole sequence in the office just makes me laugh, especially when David does that thing that became a meme, that became a gif of him just poking his head over the little barrier thing. Ooh, cubicle thing. I yeah. love it. Um, and I think it's just a really, really fun way to kind of introduce the character. And that whole sequence where like she sits and talks to her granddad and you know, I just think it's really, really sweet. I love it. Well, that's that's the big thing about this episode in particular, and that is obviously Donna and the way that she has been changed going into Partners in Crime and going into Series 4 compared to her um, appearance in The Runaway Bride. I am pretty outspoken, as all of you know, that back in the day, I did not like Donna. I really disliked her after um, The Runaway Bride because she's just, she's just a bitch the whole way through. Um, you get a little bit of a twinkle with her when it gets towards the end of the episode when she's telling the Doctor that he can stop now yeah. when he's drowning the Ragnos, etc. But you don't really like it. And I'm pretty certain I said this after the uh, Voyage of the Damned thing because I very distinctly remember watching Voyage of the Damned on Christmas Day, seeing the first shot of Donna with Coming Soon, yeah. and I just went, oh, for God's sake. I probably didn't say that. I probably yeah. was more expletives. And obviously 12-year-old Rich would have got a, a slap across the wrists <laughs> by my parents uh, for swearing in front of the TV. Um but yeah, I, I I was very outspoken in not liking in not liking Donna, so I wasn't going into this episode back in the day excited. Mm. I think I would have been for the sake of being more Doctor Who, but the idea of it being Catherine Tate back as as Donna, I thought it was lazy. I was like, oh come on, find somebody new. But yeah, but I think it works. Russell's stance on the character, because one of the big criticisms of 
The Runaway Bride back in 2000 and would have been six? Uh, yes. Yes. Maybe. Um, was the fact that Donna was so uh, abrasive. Uh-huh. Like, she wasn't a character that people could really click with because she was just so short-tempered. She was this very stereotypical middle-class, I hate to say it, Karen before the time yeah. before the time of of Karen's was a thing which is more, so, more modern I feel like it works though because you get this like because of the fact of how she is in this first episode it's almost like a slight redemption for her character to have changed this much from one interaction with the doctor and yeah. then having to obviously work her way through the next god knows how long while she's trying to find him um <clears throat> but i don't i didn't dislike donna's character i don't think in the runaway bride i do get what you mean in the, the criticism i can understand because obviously we've come from having rose and martha who are very docile characters who have kind of no issues with anything to going to Donna, who's literally just like, "All right, sunshine, this, that, and the other," you know. Um, they almost lent in. They almost lent into Catherine Tate's ability as an actor and a comedian more mm-hmm. so with this this portrayal of Donna than it was in the Christmas special. Because obviously, with as we've discussed before, with Christmas specials, you can kind of take this approach of anything goes. Yeah. And with Doctor Who, sometimes it sticks. So like christmas trees becoming beyblades and attacking stuff in the flat like that's very (laughs) silly but we'll run with it whereas other times maybe narratives don't work so well because they're kind of a bit sillier the doctor the doctor the widow and the wardrobe i'm dreading watching again because that was awful so yeah sorry i I mean admittedly my memory (laughs) christmas carol which was matt smith's first i loved christmas carol first christmas special that was really good and i think the rest of his specials at Christmas were not very oh, good. Crap. And then we had um oh, was it called Silent Night? Uh Capaldi's first one with Nick Frost as Santa Claus. I remember going into that thinking, I'm dreading this. I literally haven't got a clue. Moffat's track record I mean you don't remember Capaldi's era very well. No, you? literally like, not at all. The track record of uh Moffat's specials at Christmas were always a bit hit or miss, so I was dreading Capaldi's first, but if mm. I remember rightly, it was pretty good. So we always let a bit of schlock through, and that was what Donna was in The Runaway Bride. Yeah. She was this loud, schlocky character. But then I think she needed go... to be to juxtapose the Doctor in such a like harsh way. Yeah. Because you but needed somebody they, like that. They can get away with that more so at Christmas, but mm. I think because of the fact that people did say that Donna grated against them, like critics and stuff were saying that Donna was grating in the uh in the runaway bride russell could not have brought her back for a whole series and done the same thing because she would have been exhaustingly irritating but then i don't know whether that would have sorry (laughs) i was gonna say the fact they toned her down was a was a a logical decision yeah and a damn good one at that well i was gonna say i don't know whether that would have been russell's plan kind of to begin with in the fact that he brought her back i feel like it if it wasn't then he obviously did an excellent job at toning down the character um but I feel like you can't really take a character like that and not almost change her perception going into a new series. Because if she'd have spent this series being the same character that didn't believe in anything, didn't want to do anything, it never would have worked for a dynamic. And I think Russell probably knew that. So I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if he was planning it and it just was aided by the fact that the critics were, you know, criticising 
the sort of attitude of Donna within the Christmas special. But yeah, absolutely. So this I'm going to segue very before we go on too much about. I've got the next little point I want to talk about. But uh, first of all, uh, Misha on Twitter asked, Rich, considering your negative feelings towards Donna and the Runaway Bride, how many episodes did it take for you to come around to her slash like her as a character? Uh, I know I've just read myself a question, but here we are. That's fine. Honestly, I don't think even by the end of the series, at least when I first watched it, that I ever really came around to liking Donna. Mm. Um Donna as a companion for me she grew on me more so obviously I, I'd rewatched watched a million times anyway but I think it was I'll say in recent years it's probably only been like it might it might have been when I was like a teenager when I went to uni for example and I was watching Doctor Who in my own time mm-hmm. that I really came back around to to Donna as a character so I wouldn't say there was a specific point in the series I've just gone do you know what you're actually alright because obviously she does get better you mm. do she does that that silliness, the, the comedic side of Catherine Tate, it continues to come through throughout the course of the series, which obviously we'll discuss on the podcast. But I don't think when it gets towards the end of it and we get to the arc, which obviously we'll talk about in more detail once things start to really kick yeah. off with it, the arc still doesn't sit well with me mm. in the way, not in the way that what happened, but how it was like uh, portrayed, portrayed over the how it was how it was built throughout the course of the series and there are things we'll talk about about the arc because kind of going back to it you forget just how much partners in crime actually throws on you mm-hmm. even just little nods it's amazing how much they throw at you really without yeah. you almost realizing um so i think for me for donna it was always a case of it was after the fact it was going back to doctor who back to series four back to this era to actually for me to have donna grow on me as a character but i do remember by the time we finished up with donna at the end of series four technically not the end of series four because she's back for the specials but mm. i rem- i don't remember being like do you know what you're not too bad i just didn't have any time for about then yeah but i was i was i was a almost a teenager slash was a teenager yeah mm. <laughs> that's that's how it was but the one thing i wanted to segue onto was while obviously we've got the brand new uh theme mm-hmm. which obviously we had for the voyage of the damned oh, which is so good the best the best theme of new who don't at me it is the best one um of course we have what i would argue is also the best companion theme which is donna just donna's theme as soon as i started playing i was like oh my god i love it i remember i played this to you on a on our speaker in the kitchen oh yeah played a bit of music and i was like you know that amy was there like clawing her eyes out like i "I know this piece of music and i can't put my finger on where it's from i told you it was like Uh, like it's incredible like murray gold's work on doctor who like we've only had one just put it into perspective we've only had one other composer for new who Mm -hmm. which was sagan akinola for the chibnall era and while i don't think his music's going to go down as infamously as murray gold's stuff i still think he was a good composer Oh, absolutely i mean still Um, incredibly talented at the thing it's just that everything unfortunately some of the stuff that the more experimental things he did with the music in in the chibnall era i did really like mm. his theme i liked but not as much as i liked the series four theme yeah it's Murray just God. that unfortunately most things in the chibnall era get overshadowed by just how crap most of it is <laughs> the chibnall era. Uh, yeah. yeah so if you listen to the soundtrack on its own i'm sure it would be absolutely phenomenal Absolutely. Um, I mean, look, I've literally seen people on Twitter when they were when they were releasing the soundtracks for like the specials that have just gone for the Chibnall era, and everyone's like, "Oh my god, the soundtrack's out! This is amazing! We want the soundtrack, which is great." But Donna's theme, 
it's I think it's incredible. It goes to show how much of a talent Murray Gold really is. Because mm-hmm. I will say, I'll admit, I got so bored of Murray Gold's work towards the end of his time on the show. I was maybe not so much the actual music itself. I think it was more the usage of it. Yeah, in the show. but then it at the same time, you also kind overdone. of wonder whether that was Murray Gold's choice or whether he. I don't think the music it. I don't think it then, necessarily would have been yeah. his choice. That's but the, thing, the fact it? they used a recurring motif for the tenth and no, the eleventh and the twelfth Doctor mm-hmm. that was so like hammered home it just got a bit dull yeah. um but donna's theme it's, it's amazing how it's such a perfect encapsulation of her character mm. because even though it's it's not an overly dramatic um theme in itself it is more of this here's this character that feels almost a bit out of place it sort of juxtaposes the scenarios that you'll find her in mm. and it just works so well especially when you've got donna and the doctor having their little sort of back and culture forth. clash yeah because obviously they are two very different people in how that they speak and how they approach situations and how the Doctor just sounds they're dumbfounded most of the time. That theme just wraps all that stuff up with a mm. neat little bow and it's it's perfect. And it's and, got that little comedic sorry. element as well, which is kind of like yeah. the bouncy, vibey kind of feel to it, where you just you look at her and you're like, yeah, this music just absolutely suits her character 100%. I'm looking forward to going to when we're watching this series through to actually pick out as and when it's used. Yeah. Because I'm intrigued to know just how frequently it's used. Because I can't think I mean, off the top of my head when we like see it. Twice in this episode, I think. Once. As yeah, like it, op- it opens with it. And then once so, towards the middle to end where they're mm-hmm. having a conversation. Um, so it's great. And this, this actually works for Easy Hayward's question from uh, Spotify. Uh, and they say this app this app introduces one of the most favorite most recognizable companion themes but which is your favorite mine is clara's especially when it's played on the guitar in a final episode makes me cry oh god i can't remember clara's theme in the slightest <laughs> i feel like i could sing it like i could i could dum dum it to you but i can't i don't know Pinpoint if i'd be 100% it. right yeah yeah i i can i can picture it um and yeah i mean clara's theme was a really nice theme no, I um, don't remember it in the slightest. You don't remember it? No. Uh, but yeah, Clara's theme was a nice theme for a companion that obviously, as I said, I'm outspoken. I didn't really like Clara. I mean... So it's a nice theme, but I, I still think, apart from probably the... I mean, it's companion theme. So best companion theme, yeah, as I said, is Donna's, I think. Yeah. 100% is going to be Donna's. Um, but some of the character themes are brilliant. I really miss the Doctor's theme from this yeah, era. Mm-hmm. Um, just that single falsetto... Ooh, yeah, stuff they have. I, I'm use not going to do it because I will. I'm not going to try it. I mean, I could do. Eardrums. But yeah, exactly. Um, like I love that. There's a really good. Um, somebody did an edit when Jody regenerated into fourteen, um, and they took Sagan Akinola's music that was there for her regeneration and then transitioned it into the more orchestral Doctor's theme uh, from the Russell T Davies era. Clever. And it was like, oh my god, am I crying right now? Because it works, especially seeing Tenant again with that theme. It's like, oh my god. Yeah. We still don't know who's back for music. We don't. I don't think it's Sagan Akinola. I think he has said that he is done. Oh, okay. Uh, unfortunately, I wouldn't be surprised if Murray Gold comes back, but I don't mm, know exactly. I don't know. I feel like my. I don't remember the music particularly well. Obviously, I know Rose's theme is obviously like the big one that everybody remembers, um, but. Amy was actually Amy and Rory were one of my favourite companion like combos and as far as I remember Amy's theme was very good as well 
Um, but Donna's just has that way of like sticking in my brain. It's just Donna's theme works so well for her character, yeah. whereas other themes are just there to be. Here's a motif that mm-hmm. works when we like. You're going to get used to hearing that motif with this character. So like Clara's theme doesn't necessarily tell you much. It's a very her theme, if I remember rightly, is quite. It's almost quite tranquil, mm-hmm. even when it's played on the on Capaldi plays it on his electric guitar in the in the final episode that she's in when she flies off in a TARDIS with me. Ugh. Great. Um, yeah, great. Um, and it's but it's a very tranquil theme. It doesn't. Necess- I wouldn't say that would work for her character because she's quite this eccentric, big, oh, larger God, yeah. than life character. Yeah, which is one of the reasons I don't really like her. But mm. yeah, but whereas Donna's theme just works so well for her character and who she is. Yeah, absolutely. As for moving on to what else we've got to deal with this time. So obviously the Doctor and Donna are, are chasing each other around, and we have all these lovely shots of them two, the two of them so close together. Um, I completely forgot about the fact that there was the... I rem- I can picture David saying, Donna, your car, your car was where the TARDIS was going to land towards the end of the series. Yeah. I'd completely forgotten you actually see the TARDIS land directly behind her car. Mm-hmm. Like, I'd completely forgotten that had happened. But they're chasing down this adipose thing, just doing a bit of sleuthing. It's a bit of a... Um, I almost compare it to uh, Sarah Jane Smith getting into Jeffrey Vale during school yeah. reunion and just seeing, hey, some weird stuff, let's go into this. And that's just what Don- Madonna is doing it with the intent of finding uh-huh. the Doctor. Yeah, which makes more which, sense, really, because, yeah. I mean, as she said, she's been looking for him everywhere. And it makes me laugh how she goes, I mean, other than a Titanic flying over Buckingham Palace in Christmas, I don't think that's true. And he just ignores it completely. And I just yeah. find that really funny, the fact that... She's got that element of, although she believes in stuff now, she's still got that Donna element to her, which is like, oh, no, nah, that's not she's not She's not fully suspended her disbelief. Yeah. There will be things that will just slip through the cracks. And actually, I'm intrigued to see whether any more stuff like that really happens over the course of this series, as to whether there's something that comes up that she goes, nah, do you know what? I think this is rubbish. I, You're joking no, I don't, me, really? I don't think so. I think it's probably because when you're experiencing it, you're not going to really question it, are you? But no, true. Donna doesn't uh, like expressly experience the Titanic thing. You just—it's just a quirky little nod to the Christmas special, and I find it really like cutesy. And then when the Doctor just goes, "The bees are disappearing," and you're kind of like, you're just going to scoot over the Titanic thing, like <laughs> you're just not going to mention that. I wonder what she was doing. I don't know that she's—that's acknowledged that she was like hung over or something. Was that a different? No, that's a different. I swear, set, there's yeah. a there's a. No, I'm sure somebody mentioned about something happening at Christmas and they were hungover and didn't see it. No, or I think like that. that's. I, can't think of who it was. I think that's after all the events of the series. Maybe I can't remember no. exactly, but yeah. So we've got Sarah Lancashire playing Miss Foster, mm-hmm. the uh, the main the main big bad in this episode, and Matt Thomas on Spotify asked about whether we'd seen Happy Valley because oh. she plays the oh. lead in Happy Valley. Oh, I always thought it was the woman from Midnight, but it's not. No, it's, no, no. it's Sarah Lancashire. Oh, it's it's Miss Foster. Oh my God, she's what? She looks yeah, so different. Hang on, I'm gonna have to look at this now because yeah, I didn't recognise that that was Admittedly, her. Admittedly, she's in like 
She was in you Coronation know, Street, wasn't she, or something? Yeah, she was in Coronation. She's like high-vis police vest and stuff, so her attire <gasps> is very different to no how she way. looks in this, where she's got her glasses, she's all very prim and proper, thin coat, all this sort of and stuff. And you know what, also, I think the difference is that because she's in all of her police gear in Happy Valley, she looks, her body shape looks entirely different, so I wouldn't have exactly. recognised that. Because she hasn't put... As far as I can tell, it's not like she's put any weight on or anything. It's just that she's dressed so oh, differently. Oh, the irony. And her make hair yeah, lol. And her makeup is so different that I wouldn't look at it and be like, oh my God, that's the same person. But oh my it's God, like, you're I right. I've rec- recognised her from Doctor Who, but I always, my mind always went to Sky in Midnight, not yeah. uh, Miss Foster in Partners in Crime. Maybe it's so, just the blonde I mean, hair. Blonde woman, blonde thin woman, yeah. That's yeah. basically all it is. <laughs> but yeah, I haven't. we well, haven't seen Happy Valley. So no, sadly no not. spoilers, but I, I know that people were going absolutely like head over heels for it. Yeah, but it's like you know, series it's, three. Which it's done now. I didn't realise. I thought it was the first time it had ever, but apparently it's been massive for years and I've just never really heard about it. We don't really watch much TV outside so. of Doctor Who, to be honest. Uh, apart from you watching Nick Knowles and Stacey Solomon clear out oh, houses and those. people adopting dogs in the dog's if house. If anybody hasn't watched Stacey Solomon's Sort Your Life Out in Seven Days on BBC One, please go and do it because it just is so wonderful. I love it. We're getting rid of so much stuff because of it. We are. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly. But yeah, we haven't we haven't seen Happy Valley. But this takes us over to the sort of the uh <laughs> the fat the of fat. the episode. The actual plot. The meat. I could have said the meat, but the fat yeah. because it's adipose and, and stuff. Yeah. And there's been a few people that have asked about the um the uh, asked about the plot elements in and of itself mm-hmm. i think it was somebody on twitter yeah oh my goodness me how am i going to pronounce this is it lalexandrax i think it might be okay good try. if i've butchered that then apologies but they ask um why do you guys think the writers made the choice of donna accidentally killing stacy by twisting the necklace to introduce the adipose instead of another way of showing them being created i think it's supposed to imply the danger of the situation because you're always going to have to have that overarching sense of foreboding carried in a Doctor Who episode. No matter yeah. what episode it is, I can't recall an episode of Doctor Who where there's not been a life-threatening situation. And if there is one, I'm obviously just misremembering, but most Doctor Who episodes have an antagonist or a form of danger because it wouldn't be Doctor Who without it, really. Well, there um, wouldn't be a narrative without no, exactly. it, really. So, you know, there's... I suppose, yeah, okay, you could have introduced them in a new way, but I don't think it would have held the the same gravitas towards the end of the episode where uh, the Doctor is getting really worked up because he hasn't got the second... um, What's it? Pill necklace thing. Um, He hasn't got the second one to override it because everybody's going to die. It wouldn't have had that same weight to it if we hadn't already seen somebody disposed of so i kind of get why she does it and also it's that nonchalant thing of twisting the necklace without realizing she's doing it that causes it and then it introduces the idea of the necklaces being bonded to the host and it's kind of odd because surely if donna would just sit there and twist the necklace Mm. Surely, then, because obviously you get one. Most when you, people would have done it. Most yeah. people would have done it. So it, it it it's one of those things when we watched it back. It's kind of like actually this is a bit strange mm. because surely then more people would have just gone. 
Oh, it twists. Yeah. Because of it. Yeah. I I sit fi- oh, I, I literally still I still have a fidget spinner mm-hmm. in my desk because sometimes if I'm like playing with a pen while I'm working, sometimes I'll go I should so- I should put my pen down and pull my fidget spinner out and use that because it's just it's it is what it is. Yeah. Like more people would do it, but I think doing it in the way they did in more of a it's not necessarily an antagonistic way mm-hmm. but because obviously at the same time you've got the doctor with that bloke yeah and you've got donna and stacy together the, the 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 exposition you're getting from the doctor and this guy is the fact that obviously the guy's burglar alarm gets set off the fat just walks away you realize that 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 strap line mm-hmm. for adipose industries is truth yeah um they they lead you down this direct they lead you down this um this path and then obviously donna doing that stacy gets Adiposed, and then obviously it triggers the alarms at, at HQ, and yeah. she she gets uh, she dissolves um, Stacy entirely. If, for example, you took that particular thing, because you get that implication that it happens overnight, it happens when people aren't paying attention mm-hmm. to it. If they'd have just done it where they just showed Stacy in bed or this guy in bed, and <laughs> out pops an adipose, and off it goes through the cat flap and sets the alarm off. It doesn't have, as you say, it has it doesn't have that same gravitas to it mm. because it would fe- it feels more like while it's not necessarily body horror because the result of it is so cute, yeah, which is a strange thing to say, yeah. However, because it happens while she's conscious, while she's there, and she's like, "Oh my god, what's going on?" You do have that slightly more family friendly body horror vibe to it than just being matey boy adipose pops out of your bum while you sleep mm. and off it goes, and you almost it seems like a less antagonistic less aggressive thing yeah but also when it's done if it's all done passively like it should have been yeah. if the doctor and donna hadn't got involved but also i feel like the doctor has the means and the kind of knowledge to be able to work out what's going on for himself like with the burglar alarm with the cat flap with saying the fat just walks away and that kind of thing whereas donna i don't think has those connections to be made because she isn't investigating in the same way that the doctor is so she, because if this had happened to the doctor, it wouldn't have happened in the same way because he's already kind of aware that the situation may be dangerous. Whereas Donna doesn't, I don't, I don't think she has that overlying, overarching knowledge that there could be people in serious danger. So I feel like for, it needed to happen to Donna because Donna is the one that has that nonchalant brain that kind of would just sit there and fiddle with something, whereas the Doctor wouldn't necessarily fiddle with something he's taken from, essentially, evidence. Um, and Donna needed that nudge to be like, hang on, something's going on, this isn't right. Like, I should pursue yeah. this lead because there's something alien going yeah. on, especially since she did see an adipose, mm-hmm. and therefore, if it, if I think if it had turned out that it was something a lot less, like dangerous she'd have gone oh, this isn't this mm-hmm. isn't lead. it's not worth pursuing let's go do let's go sneak into somewhere as uh health and safety somewhere else for yeah example. and so i think it needed to happen that way for donna to be aware that she needed to go back uh because she goes home she gets hounded by her mum and then she goes back the next day and i think that kind of proves that it mattered to her that stacy got like mulched essentially um yeah so yeah i think it was the appropriate way to deal with it honestly yeah so nathan on spotify has asked a very good question which i spotted uh as it came through Mm -hmm. and it's a very much a question that more applies to how we perceive things today so much to how we perceive things back in 2008 Mm -hmm. so he asks do you think the handling of being fat and weight loss is done well or do you think it comes across as somewhat phobic 
and that's why I'm kind of I've I've said that looking at it if we if you look at it within a, the time capsule of 2008 versus how we look at things now media and everything basically is is usually under a hell of a lot more scrutiny mm-hmm. and I obviously I, I wouldn't remember because I wasn't obviously keep I wasn't aware of anything like this when when we were 12 well yeah said. um but even looking at like wikipedia and the TARDIS wiki and just general reviews of the show not many people sort of jumped on whether you would take the concept of adipose industries and this this arc this 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 plot point and treat it like it's a comment on on society mm-hmm. obviously there is that little prod at society about obesity but if i remember rightly back back then in the uk childhood obesity and obesity in general was a really big thing yeah it still is to some extent but i don't think you really see it as much in the news anymore probably because there's always that potential of somebody turning around and saying well that's pretty fat phobic mm-hmm. in my opinion and in this current age of uh, i don't want to say cancel culture that's not at all what i mean but like that scrutiny when it comes around to like the 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 quote-unquote phobias that you would that people would normally apply to um media mm-hmm. to politics to whatever you know you've got there's there's ones that i would argue are very cut and dry black and white you've got uh, transphobia you've got homophobia you've got all this sort of stuff out of all of them that you see in in modern sort of modern societal discourse fat phobia is the grayest of them all yeah because where where really do you draw that line as to what would be considered fat phobic and what wouldn't be? Mm. And it's like a bit... this. Sorry, I was say this. This this plot in two thousand and eight would have basically just been jumping on, as the reporter says in this episode. Are you just another scam artist trying to get money out of people who want to lose weight mm-hmm. but don't necessarily want to make the effort to lose weight? Are you just another diet pill that's? doesn't work and maybe there's a placebo effect and people think it's working or they just they believe in it so much they'll keep paying for it in hopes that one day they will start to lose weight yeah i think it's a very like rich said it's a very difficult topic to discuss in terms of um your opinions towards fat phobia because uh, i i personally don't think that the episode could really be construed as being fat phobic mainly because i realize i didn't say that but i agree yeah mainly because they have i think they do a very good job at having that reporter in place because she is the purpose to the counter argument that that kind of proves the fact that that's not the angle they were going for because she sits there and she goes do you not think that you're scamming us do you not think this is that and that is the kind of side of the commentary that people would be wanting to see within a storyline that focuses around weight loss because obviously it's important that weight loss is dealt with in a relatively sensitive topic because if you want to lose weight for the sake of losing weight that is absolutely fine if you don't want to lose weight for the sake of losing weight that is also fine like we're not going to sit here and say that if you're fat you're wrong because that's not the case in the slightest and i think that's not what the episode does it doesn't sit there and go people are wrong for being fat it basically uses that inherent nature that there are always going to be people that want to lose weight whatever the reason may be whether it's for their health whether it's for a medical reason whether it's for the sake of just feeling better about themselves whether they want to fit into something really doesn't matter why you want to lose weight if you want to do you can as long as the pressure isn't coming from 
feeling like other people are forcing you to. And I don't think that's what the episode is talking about. It's basically, it never picks up on people it never sits there and talks about the reasons why people are losing weight and i think that's the key literally there's that one comment about obesity within society and it's such a sort of irrelevant comment in the grand scheme of things all it is is an observation of society at the time and society in general and i love the fact that stacy is like yeah i'm gonna go and dump him actually because i can do better than him now which is you know fair enough fair like fair play if that's what you (laughs) (laughs) that's what you just just put a marker in my (laughs) thing there just in case (laughs) um if that's what you want to do then more power to you you know um so no i think it handled it quite well i think it uses that kind of comedy element as well to take your mind off the the social commentary side of it because most of it just focuses on these cute little fat balls that wander away it's it's an almost irrelevant part of the plot and the fact that also in terms of like a representative sense the fact that not everyone who is being shown as using adipose Mm -hmm. pills are all people who are you know, grossly obese, obese or, you know. for example. Like, they're not... You've got, like I said, you've got Matey that the Doctor sees. He very much just looks like a guy who just wants to lose a bit of weight. Mm-hmm. Like, fair enough. As you say, the, 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 the stance of the episode, the, the way that it runs with it, it doesn't actually at all lean on a big societal commentary or, or trying to... Uh, frame people who are wanting to mm-hmm. lose weight as like demonizing them or making it like the be all throwing and end in an all. Ali- throwing in yeah. an alien like slant on something that people already talk mm-hmm. about like in, in a potentially taboo sense anyway by today's standards as said hence why i wanted to sort of make that differentiation of 2008 versus now there will be people who will see anybody losing weight as being fat phobic mm-hmm. because that's that's why i said that it's a very gray sort of societal phobia because some people will take anything to do with weight loss and they will just go absolutely hell for leather they'll go they'll go ham yeah on it (laughs) that's a bad that's a terrible pun but that's the dialogue that came Mm -hmm. out of my mouth Uh, but like that's that's how some people would perceive anything like this any even mention of weight loss irrelevant of people's context they'll say that's not okay because you should be proud of who you are. Blah, 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 and the thing is, you're okay to be proud of who you are, but if you want to lose a bit of weight, there's also nothing wrong with that. Don't attack people for it. And I think that's, while that is a, a completely fair question from Nathan, it's not a stance I'd ever even considered no. with this episode, probably based on how irrelevant the actual people wanting to lose weight side of sort things of really is. Side of that plot. It's so irrelevant in the grand yeah. scheme of things, as you say. It's all about aliens and people being turned into little things. Like that's that's the crux of it. But by today's standards, it's like as we discussed um in the QA podcast, I think it was was it the QA podcast about um warnings before things that were uh that potentially have more questionable comedy or No, uh, um, no, I think it was in an actual episode. I, I know remember. we talked about it. But anyway, yeah. That. No, I know what you Either mean. Either way, like it's that same kind of thing. It's it's just this is I say this is how things were. It's it's how things still are. Mm. People are still wanting to lose weight. So yeah. I mean I've recently and, and, lost well, like a stone and a half because I just felt well, exactly. uncomfortable with where I was getting to, but that doesn't mean that I would shame anyone if they didn't lose weight. Yeah. Like, and nor should people like Amy who are losing weight should be shamed for losing no, exactly. weight. It's completely their decision. So it's very much a grey area in the grand scheme of things. If you want to construe this episode as fat phobic, then fine. But I think you're you're taking things too far mm-hmm. in that regard. But it's a good question from Nathan, to be honest. I it was when I saw that one come through, it's like that's going to be a, a good one. It's definitely a to discourse talk about. opener for sure. 
Yeah, very much. And if there are, I would be genuinely intrigued to hear what you guys think about this particular question as well. So you can tweet us at Casterpod, K-A-S-T-E-R-P-O-D on Twitter, or of course you can uh, submit a response to the question, the Q&A thing if you're on Spotify on this or on in the YouTube comments if you want. Oh, joy the YouTube obviously... comments. <laughs> Sorry? Oh, joy the YouTube comments. Oh, we love it. Like I'm genuinely, obviously while the, the Q&A on Spotify, for example, is more so for next time's mm-hmm. episode, Fires of Pompeii, it's it's a really interesting question to hear and I'm intrigued to know what other people would think. Amy and I's stance on it is very much the same as really our stances are on Doctor Who, to be mm. honest. But also but it's to, a good it's a to those people who do comment really nice things in the YouTube comments, thank you. It's really appreciated. I we just, do look. We always I didn't look. mean that against you. I just meant YouTube comments as a whole <laughs> on the internet are usually the place for trifle. Um but you guys trifle. are all quite lovely. Yeah, well I was trifle. I was talking between twi- trifle and tosh. But I went for trifle. Tripe. 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 Trifle. That's what you But need. trifle, because it's food. <laughs> trifle. <laughs> Speaking of, let's let's talk about somebody else. Um, and that is a very, very special person who, obviously, we, we'd seen Sylvia. We see her a bit in this episode. But we also get the revelation that old matey in the newsstand from Voyage of the Damned is Donna's is granddad. Donna's granddad. Wilf. And that's Wilf. Ah. Obviously... Bernard Cribbins, may he rest in peace. He had, he did indeed, uh, he did leave us towards the end of last year, which was devastating. Honestly, he's one of those people that you just want to live forever because he sounds. I think we did discuss this during Voyage of the Damned anyway. That he just sounded like such a sound bloke. Mm. Like everybody who who posted about him when he died, and even just general interviews with people who've worked with him in the past he said like honestly dude loves his craft yeah such a sound bloke please like don't don't ever leave us and he never will leave us he's always going to be here he's He's always always going to be be wilf and you know we've got we've got him back for the 60th he did the 60th Mm -hmm. just in time by probably a few months yeah um before he unfortunately passed away um and just like obviously seeing him with Donna, when Donna's before Donna realizes the Doctor is so close, um, it was sweet. Mm-hmm. But seeing him at the end of the episode, when Donna's in the TARDIS, and you see how excited he is, we're both there like welling up. I literally up, like, cried, why, like not. Why is this getting to me? Like, I'm still, I'm welling up now, just thinking about it. Like I literally cried at seeing how happy he was because I just pictured, like your own grandparents and just that that really warming feeling of knowing that they're proud of you and just so excited for you and it just made i'm literally nearly crying again now like what is happening and it's also because obviously with the 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 beauty of like foresight we know where wilf goes we know how important he is Mm -hmm. to the doctor we know how important he is to doctor who as a whole yeah like arguably you you take any companions of the new era even if it, just of all time, like you'd you'd li- you'd say who's the best companion of of Doctor Who, full stop. Wilf. Wilf. <laughs> he made such an impact on the character, on the audience, um, just by being a lovely bloke mm-hmm. with his head screwed on straight and just love for for his family and the people around him and the, the, the amount of respect he has for the Doctor. He just was this character that everybody loved. So seeing Bernard Cribbins in the sixtieth in a wheelchair as far as we know from set photos mm. and stuff irrelevant of that it's going to be a very emotional time yeah and seeing wilf back in this it's it's so lovely and we get a, we get a lot of wilf over this series mm-hmm. 
Um, and obviously, he basically is a companion. Come the uh, come the specials, hence why you could class him as a companion. I love him. If he's credited in three D at the start of the episode, he's a companion. I love so him. So he's up there, and and seeing him back again, it's so it's so nice because as you say, we've all had that kind of grandparent. There, there's pictures of my nan all over our house. Mm-hmm. I really need to put out was, a picture of my nan and granddad. She was so so special to me, and in the same way that we see. Wilf in that same light so having him back for this series is going to be so lovely and so devastating as well because as said every time he comes on screen we're going to be I there like cry. oh no. it's so hard. Uh, I mean even if even if even if he hadn't have passed away we'd st- you'd still feel the same way mm-hmm. because he just was this such a shining light in in Doctor Who so yeah Bless having him. him back is going to be great. Aww. Logan asks a question that I don't really want to answer, which is if Bernard Cribbins wasn't available to play Wilf, who would you have cast in the role instead? Oh God, I don't even think I would have had anyone. The only th- the only thing I could think of, if you think of people from that era who did, you know, comedy and stuff like that back in the, the you know, 60s, 70s, 80s, I would have probably picked... A python would have been probably too much of an ask. Mm-hmm. I think people wouldn't have been able to put people like a, the python, or the character beyond the python. Yeah. Well, I know that the pythons have done a hell of a lot of stuff. In case you don't know who, who I'm talking about, the Monty Python troop. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are unfortunately only four of them left, uh, as Terry Jones uh, unfortunately passed away in 2020, mm. a couple of years ago. And obviously, Graham Chapman passed away in the in the late is it late 80s, early 90s? I think it was. I haven't got a clue. But, like, one of them, for example, or one of the goodies, imagine, like, Bill Oddie mm-hmm. or Graham Garden playing Wilf. I feel like that would be the same kind of vibe. I would say Tim Brooke Taylor, but unfortunately he has also passed away as well, which is I always forget about, and then I remind myself, and then I get really sad. Surprise. Because I loved the goodies growing up. Mm-hmm. Absolutely loved it. I still do. It's still really, really good. I still show me clips of the goodies from time to time. Yeah, he does. Um, I feel like it would, be a ca- it would be an actor like that, because obviously they'd be the right kind of age to do it. Yeah. Um, and the right kind of comedic style because while Wilf is a, a very light-hearted and there are moments when he's quite comedic, he can still do the just the fatherly stuff. It's, it's kind of just a given of being an older actor. Mm-hmm. You can just kind of portray that love. That I think Bernard Cribbins' passion for his craft worked so well yeah. in in being Wilf yeah. um, because he loved... Like he would have just that that reaction he he does when Donna's up in the TARDIS like that would have been a genuine reaction of just Bernard Cribbins getting to do more work and being in Doctor Who, mm-hmm. which obviously he did back in the sixties when he did the second Peter Cushing movie, which obviously I absolutely adore anyway. So yeah, yeah, I'd probably I would probably go with if I had to pick I'd have to go with Graham Garden because I love Graham Garden. Um, I've loved him in the goodies as as the sort of as kind of the straight man in the in the group but also very much not the straight man mm-hmm. in the group, which, if, in case you know, the straight man is in terms of comedy, is the serious person. Yeah. But Because he, he, he kind of has that slant because he's the scientist, he's the smart one of the three, yet he still very much does some silly stuff. Um, I think he would have been very, very good. Yeah. And I'd love to see him in Doctor Who. I mean, I love Graham Garden anyway. Any like He's going to be one of those people who would be up there for me when they when he unfortunately passes away whenever that may be, in the same way that we have with Bernard Cribbins or um, Robbie Coltrane, mm-hmm. for example. Like, when they passed away, it was a huge, like, very, very saddening loss. Yeah. For me, it's going to be Graham Garden and Dick Van Dyke. 
oh, man who's God. just come off just come off mass singer at 97, 97 still loving what he's doing and still doing so so well at 97 i mean that's incredible like what a guy i am gonna be distraught when dick van dyke yeah, dies yeah i know <laughs> so yeah that that's that's who i think i would go with i don't but at the end of the day you don't you got you can't think of anybody else no like he's it's gonna Bernie be is just perfect so perfect yeah. for the role absolutely i'm gonna it's gonna be so hard for the 60th oh god uh, it'll be fine frank frank on spotify asks uh, donna is uh, my favorite doctor Who companion uh, and i can't wait to see her back in the 60th anniversary and what is your favorite donna moment in this episode and what do you most want from donna in the 60th oh uh I genuinely think my favourite Donna moment is when they're doing that window-to-window, like, charades, game of charades kind of situation where they're trying to work out what the other one is saying and they're having that full conversation. I just, I love that whole sequence because it goes on for longer than you expect it to, but that's when the comedic element comes in of them sort of going, oh, yeah, there, and then she turns to see them and they're all just staring at them. It's like... That's a good... It's, yeah. It just makes you wonder how long they've just been stood there watching them, like a teacher moment. You can actually like, hear the conversation yes, happening yeah. in the background and eventually it, it dies stops. off. But it just makes me laugh so much because it's like a teacher when the students think they're getting away with something and the teacher's just sit there watching And them. they look up and the teacher's yeah. just staring at them. <laughs> just makes oh, me God, laugh Oh, God, the chill so that much. goes through your spine when that happened when you are at school. It's <laughs> just funny. Uh, I think that's probably my favourite Donna moment because it's just... I would, I would agree with you on that. Maybe also, again any scenes with Wilf and Donna together yeah. because you know their relationship is so strong and they do it so well and there will be in on, in terms of like behind the scenes stuff Catherine Tate will have as as basically everybody did so much respect for Bernard Cribbins mm-hmm. that you can see that when they are acting together that there's this I think it's very easy for Catherine Tate to be able to be showing so much love and respect to somebody who would probably inspired her when she was young mm-hmm. watching TV and going into comedy and stuff like that so it, it yeah I, and as I said, because I was never a big fan of the ma- mega theatrics from Donna in The Runaway Bride, seeing her a hell of a lot more subdued and showing some more genuine character, for lack of a better mm-hmm. phrase, that I really appreciate out of Donna because, you know, they're the things that eventually turn me around on the character. Yeah. So that's that's really good. So for the next sort of, for the last little thing we're going to talk about today, I think we need to talk about where things are going to go. Mm-hmm. Because... I hadn't really clocked this while I knew that obviously by the end of the episode we have Rose yeah. appearing. That was pretty big. Mm-hmm. Like that was a big, okay, how? And then she obviously fades away as she walked away. I forgot about the bit she yeah, fades away. Yeah, me too. I forgot about that. Um, but the fact that she's there is obviously pretty big. But then really the amount of stuff they start throwing at you mm-hmm. while you don't necessarily realise it. Oh, not at all. The number of things that get planted in this episode like little that come nods. back to come back to haunt you for lack of a better phrase by the end of the year yeah. series there's so much going mm-hmm. on um, and w- we've both been very critical about when episodes do a lot for exposition and a lot for just planting seeds waiting for them to grow if they ever do mm-hmm. grow um and while this episode does a lot of it as i said on the DL, you don't really realise because you've just heard something. It still does a hell of a lot. Oh, yeah, I mean... So... Sorry. You've got Rose, yeah. obviously, at the end of the episode. That's the big... That's the big... 
okay, here's the sledgehammer to the face. You're going to need to remember this, not like you're going to forget mm-hmm. it. Um, you have the comment on the bees disappearing. Yeah, which is a big one. Which, which is obviously a big revelation. Like, it's a crux point of, of pointing the narrative in the direction it goes comes the, come the end of the series mm-hmm. and how they actually... Uh, overcome their their threat. Yeah, and I also uh, you have it, it, because it's so woven into that little bit of comedy in the middle. You almost think it's just like an off the cuff comment where he's just like the bees are disappearing. What are you on about? And yeah, you don't really realise that what it leads into. Yeah, um, you've also got um, the fact that the adipose breeding planet disappears, mm-hmm. and the doctor says, "How does how do you, how do you lose, lose a planet? planet? Obviously, that's going to come back." Yeah. And then, of course, when we get back to the car and the TARDIS, Donna's like, it's destiny. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, there's four huge things yep. that you may not realise to begin with and that are the Atmos coming back through. In the and the Atmos stickers, of course. You've got those thrown in really, really subtle shots. They're just in the bottom. And because we've watched the series before, there. we obviously know to look for them. Um but if you if this was your first time watching Doctor Who, you would just think it was just a weird like you almost wouldn't you wouldn't even notice it. Like it's such a Well, it's no different from like shot. Vote Saxon stickers yeah, exactly. in the background of shots during series three or I mean the mentions of Torchwood were a bit more On the nose. A little bit more explicit yeah. in series two. And obviously Bad Wolf was pretty subtle at times in series one. Like going when you get to the end of the series and it's like here's here's a flashback sequence of all the times you hear Bad Wolf, mm-hmm. like on the Bad Wolf channel in The Long Game or Bad Wolf 1 Descending in Dalek. I never clocked that when I was fir- when I first watched them no. through. So, but for this particular arc, looking back at it, it's like, okay, while, as said, it's not all, you know, sharpened onto at the back of a spade and you're slapped across the face with it, there is a lot of stuff going mm-hmm. on. And when it, especially when it came to the end of the Russell T. Davies era, and it's one of those, as, as much as I'm a big Russell T. Davies simp, mm-hmm. as you all know... I did have a problem with just how much sort of volume a series arc got in by the end of his series. Yeah. They got a lot more explicit. They got a lot more, dare I say, silly, mm-hmm. um, at least in the way that they were planted. And this arc, in, as I said at the top of this episode, this arc in particular, I'm not a massive fan of in the way that it was portrayed through the course of the series. So... Looking back at this episode, while as a standalone episode in and of itself, as we've discussed, mm-hmm. yeah, it's great because it, you don't you don't have to do lots of introductions. You can just get into the meat of it, but they still don't just go. Here's the Doctor running away from something immediately, like they sometimes yeah, yeah. do in, in modern home. Yeah. Like here's just let's let's wean you into it, but let's give you some time to get back into the mindset of okay, we've got the Doctor. He's already onto something. Here's Donna. She's onto something. Their paths are going to cross. Let's see how much we can cock-tease the audience yeah. until it actually happens. So, and fair enough. And, you know, we've talked about the, the the actual weight loss arc. We've talked about the villain. You know, really all that's left is literally that that whole lot of stuff yeah. that you get lodged with, even if you don't realise well, it, which could be down to... It could be, it could be construed down to clever writing, which yeah. I would argue it is. And it's not just super explicit the whole time. No, and I mean, to be but fair, if you watch this episode it is on a its lot. own and you don't watch any others, none of that would matter. 
like it's all just offhand little comments that work their way into yeah. the storyline that work for this individual story, but also work in the grand scheme of the overarching plot. So if this was the only episode of Doctor Who you watched, you wouldn't think anything of it. It would not make a difference to you. The Atmos stickers you wouldn't notice, and the bees are disappearing would just be a funny comment. Like the planet disappearing would just be the reasoning for the adipose trying to invade a level five planet. Like you just, it's not imperative that all those things are mentioned for the sake of the overarching plot. They just weave themselves nicely into the episode, but I think it works really well that they do then work their way into yeah. the overarching plot. And I think the fact that they're all mentioned in one episode means that you're not going to be looking for every single one of those. Obviously, the reason we're looking for them is because we've watched the series before several times. We know what's coming. We know what we're looking for. But on a first watch through you would not be sat there thinking, oh my God, they've mentioned so many things. Like, which one of those things would be the thing to follow? Yeah. It's not like you're sitting there pinpicking everything apart. I mean, some people obviously do, and that's how people discover Easter eggs and things like that. But it's the sort of thing that's done really cleverly and really subtly that you wouldn't even think it would be out of place in this episode. You wouldn't clock it on the first watch no. through, but going back, it's like, okay, that's a lot. Like, even things like the throwaway, the bees disappearing... Mm-hmm at least throw away until it comes until the shadow proclamation like that could have been in an episode's time or two episodes time to be mentioned for example but i think it throws off and again that's a that's a retrospective take Mm -hmm. rather than a first time watching take because yeah as you say you probably wouldn't clock this planet disappearing i mean the planet disappearing maybe but the bees disappearing yeah throw away line something funny sounds funny and was relevant at the yeah, time. Yeah, I mean, the B put that. I think that's why it would have been so odd to hear it in the TV show because I think at the time I do distinctly remember that the the bee pollinations in the UK were struggling because of the use of pesticides and things like that so it was relevant so it would have meant that you wouldn't have thought anything of it It would have just been a quirky little nod to the time that you were living in Um, so the fact that they use it as this kind of weird plot line thing that obviously we won't spoil but comes back towards the kind of overarching plot it's like what really you're gonna latch onto that (laughs) yeah it's a lot and this actually answers um charlotte samantha's question on spotify as well asking they set up a lot of threads in this episode bees disappearing lost planets and rose do you think there were too many of them and were they all needed i think while they're all relevant I feel like they could have spread them out a bit more. Rose is a big one. Mm. That should have stayed because we don't see Rose again until midnight, I don't think, unless mm. I'm wrong. Um, Not sure. I can't remember. I mean, somebody on Twitter sp- said the same thing. Uh, I swear I saw somebody say that on... Twitter? On- I don't know. Was it on Anchor? I think it might I have been. I see, I personally don't think... Yeah, Oscar Oscar said that Rose's random appearance at the end was too soon. We don't see her for another 10 episodes until she tries to communicate with the Doctor via that screen, oh, that quick yeah. shot of the screen in Midnight. Yeah. So yeah, I, I get it. There's a lot of stuff going on. Um, it was all done with good intentions, but we'll talk. I think we'll go more about the arc by the Obviously. time we get to the end of the series. Yeah. I don't know. So, I think I quite like the fact that they're all in one episode because it means that you don't have... in. Rose's series, you had Bad Wolf basically once per episode. In Martha's series, Vote Saxon was everywhere, and if you noticed it, you noticed it. But I think the fact that in this series, Russell basically kind of was like, do you know what? We're just going to put it all in one episode, not make any obvious nods to it, 
And then people can literally be like, oh, they mentioned that in like episode one. And you would be yeah. like, oh my God. Like I said, it's more of a retrospective take than it is about yeah. like thinking of it objectively if you were watching it for the first time. Yeah. So, so yeah, Partners in Crime. It's a really good start. Mm-hmm. It reintroduces Donna in a much, much, much better light. And I'm more excited to see how things go going forward. Obviously, Fires of Pompeii, Donna's got a pretty prominent Roll. sort of turning point for the Doctor in that particular episode, which, of course, we'll get to next time. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is, there's, there's one tiny final thing I want to mention. Um, somebody, I'm not going to name them because it's unfair. Okay. Somebody on Spotify asked about um, doing a list on Who Culture. Uh, about doing top 10 Donna Noble episodes. I was in, can you like, do one? Yeah, can I do um, that? And I'm like, it no. just brings up, I, bear <laughs> in mind, this hasn't happened for a good few years where somebody's gone, hey, you should do this on this channel. And I'm like, I, I, I don't work there anymore. Yeah. This hasn't happened for a long time, but it's 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 quite odd that it still does. Mm. That people are still, like, we still get people who are like, oh, you know, you should do this on the gaming channel or why don't Ben and Peter do this? It's like, they've not been at what culture for like six years now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but people just are so out of the loop on things. So just so, in case you are listening, I'm not, as I said, I'm not going to name and shame you. I don't work there anymore. And he hasn't so, done for two years. Whatever whatever Who Culture do, it's not my doing. If you see me on Who Culture that isn't something I've recorded specifically, it's been re-uploaded. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and while I am doing my YouTube stuff more frequently now, youtube.com slash pickupchangetoe, because they've finally made usernames yes, like a thing. Yes, I noticed that. It's taken YouTube long enough. Yeah. But yeah, you should just be able to... Search, either the, You can search for Rich Hudson or you can look for Pickup Change Toe. Um, all the caster pods get uploaded there. And if you are watching on YouTube or you haven't been watching on YouTube, again, look at the new intro. How cool is that? It's pretty cool. I'm so, I, I'm, it, I'm so proud. It looks so cool. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Um, yeah. Uh, that's that's how things how things are. So I'm, I'm making more YouTube videos now. I'm putting more time aside in the week to do them, even if it's just being able to write for the night. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I've been doing more so recently. So I'm still going to try and turn around more Doc 2 videos aside from just uploading caster pods and losing subscribers because of it. <laughs> YouTube. Yeah, sorry, um, That Or just doing episode reviews as and when they happen, because obviously we're not we're going to be waiting till at least November yeah. um, for this to happen, for, for more episodes. So we'll get to that when we get to it. But... That is about it for this time for Partners in Crime. We're into series four. Here we go. Here we go, Last boys. full series for big old 10 and also for uh, for Russell. Christ. For now. For now. <gasps> same with Donna. For now. Oh, my word. There were a few questions about the 60th more so, but we'll have to get to those at some other time. Mm-hmm. So if you do have any questions for Fires of Pompeii, then please let us know in the comments. If you're on YouTube, you can tweet us at Castapod on Twitter, or you can, of course, if you're on Spotify, which I know most of you are based on our analytics, you can click the little Q&A box thing on the uh, Spotify page and you can leave us a question, comment, whatever yeah. there. But if you want to speak to Amy directly... You can find me on Twitter, Instagram. Twitter things. No, Instagram me things. Instagram me things. Don't tweet me things because I never use Twitter. Um, Instagram me at Ames underscore Elizabeth. Whereas you can find me on Instagram and on Twitter and on YouTube because I can say YouTube now Mm -hmm. because usernames at Pickup Change Toe. So please do. And of course, at Casterpod, K-A-S-T-E-R-P-O-D on Twitter if you'd like to send us tweets and things about Fires of Pompeii or general stuff or tell us how cool the new intro is. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) But thank you all so much for listening. We'll see you in a few weeks' time because we're going to stick to it. We're going to do it. We are. We're going to do it. We're trying. We're really trying. We are indeed. (laughs) But until we see you again, take care of yourselves, everyone. Thank you for listening. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.